It's show 130 of the RIM Pro Report. Today, Kate Norton and the latest industry news. The show is sponsored by our good friends at O'Neill Software. I just noticed on O'Neill's Facebook page yesterday an introduction to James Ross, O'Neill's senior software developer. I dug deeper and read what he considered a favorite part of working for O'Neill. And here's what he said. He said, without a doubt, I most enjoy working with this team of ridiculously smart people. They make me better and force my best game. It's also nice to be continually on the leading edge. We have ourselves in so many exciting new technologies that it is actually dizzying. That's the kind of people you find at O'Neill Software. And if you want to learn more about them, you can do so at O'NeillSoft.com. Overture, curtain lights, this is it. We're going to hit the heights. On with the show, this is it. Welcome to the RIM Pro Report. The one and only weekly broadcast for the RIM support services industry. Hustling with news, views, and the latest updates. This show is full of interesting information. So take notes. Now here's your host, Tom Adams. Yep, it's me. Hello, RIM Nation. I'm back and so are you. Welcome to another show where we meet and encounter all kinds of amazing people from in and around the RIM world. Today, a very different kind of show, though. We've never done this before. This week, I am talking to your client. Her name is Kate Norton, and she is an office manager at a small law firm. I asked her to be on the show because I wanted to allow you to get a glimpse into the mind of someone who is the administration manager and the ultimate gatekeeper into a law firm. In the rim and shred industry, this is our bread and butter client. If you can win these kind of clients, you can gain incredible traction in your business. But so many times as owners, executives, and sales reps, we think we understand them. We think we know how to close them. Well, today I want to give you some insight by talking to one of them and allowing you to hear what she wants and what she thinks about. So I've invited Kate Norton into the studio today to chat about all of it. But before I get Kate's microphone on here in the studio, let's get you caught up on the latest industry news. Access Information Management made news in the ARMA world this week when they announced the new Access Leadership Scholars Endowment to provide actively engaged RIM practitioners financial assistance for their part-time pursuit of a college degree. This fund will be distributed as scholarship grants to selected applicants who are currently employed as a RIM professional for a minimum of five years, currently enrolled in a degree program, able to demonstrate their personal professional advancement requirements, and they are members in good standing with ARMA. The ARMA Educational Foundation and Access anticipate this first round of scholarship awards to be made in the fall of 2013, so very cool news there. Richard Reese, the retiring executive chairman, and Bill Meany, the new CEO of Iron Mountain, rang the closing bell at the New York Stock Exchange last Monday afternoon to mark the transition in leadership. Congratulations to both on that prestigious event. Speaking of Iron Mountain, last week they reported their full year 2012 financial results. For the full year, earnings were $3 billion. Adjusted operation income before depreciation and amortization was $912 million, and adjusted earnings per share were $1.21. 
Global storage growth volume was 1.8% on a year-over-year basis. Strong growth in document management solutions and storage-related services in Latin America helped to offset the decline in developed market service revenues. So there you have some of the broad strokes, and I know we watch them because they are a leading indicator of what often happens at a local level in other businesses. The Nade Annual Conference is just around the corner in Nashville. I hope to see many of you there. Well, that's all the news I have this week. If you have anything to report, let me know so I can share it. I'm going to get Kate Norton's microphone turned on. Hold tight while I do. Kate Norton is the office manager at a small law firm in the greater San Diego area. I brought her into the studio today because I want to explore with her the mind of an office manager in order to help you who are listening understand how to market and sell to office managers and administrators. But in order to protect the anonymity of the situation, we have chosen not to disclose the name of her law firm. Kate, welcome to the RimPro Report. Hi there. Hey, welcome. It's really good to have you in studio today, and uh, I'm really excited about talking about this topic. But before we begin, why don't you tell me a little bit about the law firm you manage? Uh, again, not saying which law firm it is, but tell, tell us a little bit about the size, uh, how many staff, how many lawyers, that some of that information. Sure. It's a small family law firm. Uh, we have seven total employees, two administrative personnel, one paralegal, and four attorneys. Our focus is family law, which means primarily divorce, um, child support, child custody, spousal support, property division. Okay. So uh, that environment is what many companies in our industry tend to be focusing on in terms of trying to get uh, as clients. So the, the, the whole point of this conversation today is to really kind of dig inside of your head and try and figure out what it is that or how it is you think about vendors and service providers and, and how they approach you. Uh, but really to set a foundation for that in a small law firm like this, the, the one you just described, what does your typical day look like? What do you experience uh, administratively? What are the details that sort of uh, fill your day on a regular basis? Uh, well, there's a number of things, but you know, primarily I'd say I monitor the office inventory, staff needs, order supplies um, for anybody in our staff as they're needed or anything that's needed for the office. I handle client payments and billing questions and maintain our client billing files. I also maintain the employees' HR files and um, handle payroll, as well as our office's account payable files. Um, for that aspect of it. I review the incoming invoices that we get from our different vendors. I have to review them and okay them for payment and then follow up with customer service um, for any issues with billing questions um, or just any other issues we might have with those vendors related to the invoices. Right. So uh, a lot of your time is spent really dealing with a hundred thousand different things yes you're not sitting all day long going okay i'm going to focus on this one task it's many small things throughout the entire day right and uh, and how big is the headache factor around many of those things i wouldn't say there's too big of a headache factor it's just a matter of actually having the time to cross everything off the list while being interrupted with everything else that's going on right so the interruption factor and is that interruption factor from within as much as it from without or or where's the interruption coming from both 
Um, the interruption from within is okay because it's you're still progressing towards getting things done for the office. The interruptions that come from outside are slightly more of a nuisance because they're not asked for, right. I guess you'd say. Okay, and we're, we're going to chat about those in a little bit. But this, this show, as you know, as I explained to you before coming, is really dedicated to people in the records and information management world. And so specific to that, to, to help them and those listening understand some of the ways you think about these kinds of pieces of, of the puzzle, tell me a little bit about the, the information management related issues or services or uh, focus you might have in your office. Do you actually store physical records offsite? Absolutely. Okay. We, um, as a law firm, we're required to keep our client files for several years. And so we have several hundred files that are sent to an offsite um, storage location. And in our office, before it's sent out, it goes through an archiving process. We're very diligent about our records and make sure that we keep track of every box that goes out the door and what's inside of it so that we could always track it down and uh, retrieve a file or a specific document if needed. Um, so that's definitely something we do on a regular basis is get files ready to be sent off-site for storage. And, and in your size of law firm, are you using a records management type software? Or are you dealing with this in more an Excel spreadsheet kind of format or? or some kind of database? We use an Excel spreadsheet type of format. Um, I'm sure that the records uh, storage that we use has it on a more sophisticated database, but we just go by Excel so that way we can search names okay. pretty easily. But it, it's a an important part of what you're thinking about on a regular basis. As as cases are finished, you close those cases out and then you archive them, go yes. through that process. Mm -hmm. Okay. And do you have a... a a deliberate a retention schedule for those or are they kept indefinitely many times? Many times they're kept indefinitely. Uh, I think that there's always some sort of fear of getting right. rid of things that you're not supposed to get rid of. And I, I know that it, it'd be up to 10 years probably before we would ever destroy any items that are in storage. So they're going to be there for a long time. Okay. How about data backup? Do you do data backup? Is it tape-based? Is it internet-based? Is it, you know, it's an IT question, but often as the person managing all this, it goes through you. So what about data backup? And I, I you know, I do recently know about that because we did switch how we were doing it. Um, okay. We had always used a tape backup for our shared server, everything that was on our server. And we recently switched over to internet storage. Um, and it was really primarily because the backup system with the tapes was really old and it broke. And our IT guy oh, okay. said, don't spend the money on replacing the tapes. Why not just switch to the internet storage? And so that was really the only reason why we switched. If the backup tapes hadn't started failing us, we would have probably just continued along that way, you know, just because it was tried and true and it's right. what we were familiar with. But um, we did recently switch over to internet. Okay. So you've had some experience with that, but was it generally... Uh uh, encouraged by your IT vendor and yes. you just okay absolutely okay how about scanning and imaging are are you in a place as a firm where you're starting to think about uh, going paperless is that a conversation you're having is that something you're thinking about we think about it and it's a conversation we have but I don't necessarily see it becoming a reality anytime very soon um, it's something that we th we think about in the sense that 
in theory, it would be great. In reality, we are just not sure if anybody would be comfortable with that switch. Um, I don't know if it's just the nature of our business, being attorneys, that people like to hold a people, piece of paper in their hand or just know that there's a file right there that they can grab the piece of paper out when they want it without ever having to worry about technology failing them or the internet being down and not being able to get to something. Um, there's just a fear factor, I think, of switching over to something that's uncharted waters that nobody is completely familiar with. So is that is in the ongoing uh, development of case files are not a lot of the things that are also happening, though, happening online or digitally. So um, cases are being written or notes are being taken uh, digitally, are they not? As far as things in our office, we tend to kind of still do things the old way where okay. we, we do a lot of things with, um, you know, dictating memos and transcribing them. And it, it seems sort of like the older way to be doing things. But um, we have noticed recently that a lot of the documents we get from our clients are scanned electronically. And we've started to try to think that we need to maybe change some of our the ways that we file things in our client files specifically because now we have all these electronically stored documents that don't really necessarily fit into the categories we've had in their files before. So we're kind of reassessing that right now because we're noticing that's just becoming more of the trend and we have a lot more um, electronically stored documents than we did before coming from us from outsiders like right. the clients or mostly the clients I'd say. But within our office, we tend to still th do things in the older way. Okay. So the so the question that you're you're asking yourselves on a regular basis is not how do we re remove ourselves from this this paper nightmare. It's more how do we transition, I guess. It's not a nightmare for us because everybody feels more comfortable with okay. it, but we think, well gosh, wouldn't that be great if we could go paperless? Right. Mm, like <laughs> but it doesn't seem like a very right. realistic Thing to happen anytime soon it sounds to me like it feels like it's too big of a hump to get over yes all right so if it were easy to get over that hump it might be easier to consider similar to what your it guy just led you through which was you need to go this way because this is broken mm -hmm. okay all right uh so shredding paper is that something you actively do in your environment we shred the daily day-to-day -day items um we shred those but we don't purge items in the sense that we would get rid of an entire client file. So right. we do have a shred company that we use monthly. They come in and they empty out our shred bin, but okay. that would just be the day-to-day -day stuff that winds up in there. Good. Okay. So that, that gives us a sense of the world you live in as it relates to what we talk about in this industry. So let's let's kind of explore the, the process of interacting or the interactions you might have with vendors related to some of these services. Do you ever typically sit down and audit your bills and go, what are we paying for? Is that something that regularly crosses your mind? Is it something that you spend a lot of time thinking about? No, not regularly. I wouldn't say that it's something that I, you know, set certain time frames to review these things every quarter or so. But if there are issues with the company, that's when it'll kind of raise that notion of, hmm, maybe we should take a look at what we're actually paying for here. So if we have issues with service or billing problems or customer service, um, if there's an unexpected price increase all of a sudden, 
Um, or as with the case of the data backup, if simply the old way is just, you know, right. broken sort of, um, then we'd be prompted to look elsewhere. But however, for the most part, we don't really just switch vendors or look into it on a regular basis. Okay. So it, there's a sense that once you've chosen your vendor, you're pretty happy unless they screw up. Yep, exactly. All right. So how do you make decisions on new vendors? Because it seems logical that uh, even in the case of your IT support person says, okay, the tape backup isn't working. How do you decide? Do you rely on, say, your IT person's advice in that case? Uh, or do you go out and externally decide to look for other vendors yourself? Well, in terms of things that have to do with IT, we would definitely take that basically on whatever he says is going to go because he knows what he's talking about. Right. And we just, he's a vendor who we trust. And so right. if he tells us that we should change something, then we kind of just do it. But in terms of looking around for other vendors, um, we generally would always go by referrals or if we've decided that we need something, we kind of reach out to another colleague, another law firm and say, hey, who do you use for that? And kind of go by that sort of recommendation. Really? So you would go referral first before doing, say, online research? Yes. Really? Huh. So that that would start your process, but then do you use uh, online as a way to support your decision making or to to help you to learn more about the vendor that you might be looking at? How, how do you go about this process generally? Because I, I realize in every situation you might have a unique approach to it. Yeah, because, you know, it does make a difference, I guess, for the type of service that's being offered. I'd say if it's a sort of run-of-the-mill service that's not going to differ that much from one vendor to another as far as the service they provide, then I'd probably look into it further online, um, you know, maybe see if they have good reviews somewhere um, or just look into it as far as actually comparing apples to apples and seeing what each company offers, just which one has the, the best offer. But if it's any other sort of service that has a little bit more of a special, unique quality to it, then we really would primarily rely on a referral. And if somebody else says that they use this company and they vouch for them and they're great, well, then we're probably not going to look too much further and we'll just go with that if they seem to be offering a pretty good product. So it seems to me like uh, trust is a pretty important piece of this puzzle. Yes. Yeah. And that trust is is given generally by your peers, mm -hmm. people. Okay. So we talked about this earlier about being interrupted, but uh, tell me about your reaction to cold calls from potential vendors. What? How, how do you? How do you look at that? What's your gut reaction to it? What's your visceral reaction to it? How do you deal with that? Honestly, most of the time they're just going to be ignored. Um, our receptionist will usually take those calls first and she'll put them through to me and for the most part if i'm in the middle of doing absolutely anything else i will say just take a message or blow them off and i i usually don't really take the calls from the start um, if they do come through to me and it's somebody who i've spoken to before i'll you know take the call and i'll you know hear what they're saying but um the the issue that i feel the or my general thoughts and feelings on it are that we will reach out to you when we've decided that we're ready to look into your services, which may seem counterintuitive sort of, but I tend to find that we're the ones who assess our own needs. And if you're coming to me at a time when I just don't need what you're offering or I just don't have time to think about it, I'm not going to be receptive to it. When I'm ready and I've decided that we really need this service, I'm going to go and look around and you know, talk to other people and find different vendors. And then I'm going to be the one to do it. 
So how do you then uh, at that point, because I know you already talked about you go to you go to your colleagues or other law firms, uh, but there must be people who have somehow figured out a way to reach you. Well, and for that, I'd say that timing is kind of the issue. Um, If you call me and I'm not interested and it's not the right time, but you're personable and friendly and you're not pushing the issue, then, you know, you can call back and check in again in six months now from now and reassess my needs then. And maybe you'll have caught me at a time when I do need your services. But even if I don't, I'm more likely to remember your name or, you know, think of you, hey, that person calls every few months to kind of check on us. And now we actually do need that service. Let me call them back. Um, So I would say it's okay to check back in every so often and kind of reassess the needs, um, but definitely not in a pushy way. (laughs) Right. So how can people, if it's not cold calls, because cold calls is often seen in, in business to business type services as the way to reach you. Uh, are there other ways to get in front of you in a way that uh, assesses or helps you to assess that this might be a viable long-term service provider for you? How else might somebody do that? Well, I think that being part of different professional networking groups might be a way to kind of get to know business owners in the area without cold calling into their office. Um, and then if they've met you in a... In, in an environment outside of coming into their reception area, they might, you know, just be more apt to talk to you and get to know what your business is and then remember you down the road um, when the time comes that they need that service. So I think that that's one thing like rotary or other professional right. networking services. Otherwise, um, I think maybe it has to do more with personality, um, which I I'm not really sure how to answer that. I guess yeah. if some people have a way of coming in and being very, very much of the salesperson and they want to interrupt what you're doing and give you their card. And some people have a way of coming in and just being more friendly and understanding that you're busy and they don't want to take your time, but they just want to introduce themselves. And I'm always interested in saying hello to people. I'm never going to be rude to anybody, um, but I don't want to necessarily sit down with you for 10 minutes and have you explain your company to me if I'm not interested in what you're selling right or now. Or assess your situation. Yeah. Because there, there, there is a, a method that is used, which is, uh, let, let me just ask about you. Mm-hmm. How, how does that go over with you? I just want to know about you. I like, like, how do you work in here? And so a salesperson calls you on the phone or tries to walk in the front door. And if they even get an audience with you and they try and pitch that, like, let me just figure out what, you know, the problem that you have. Is that even appealing to you? No. Okay. So you did mention people who walk in the front door who want to drop off their card. Is that seen as a welcome thing or is that pretty much unwelcome guests, same as cold calls? It's pretty much unwelcome as well. I mean, which I I don't want to be contradicting myself, but it's just, you know, if you if you come and somebody's in the middle and they're trying to of something and they're trying to answer the phone and you're kind of standing at their desk just wanting to give them your business card, then they're just going to be kind of frustrated with your presence. Um, But I mean, I have had people come in and they're just friendly about it. And maybe it's just the way that certain people approach it that is better than another. But when people do come in and they give me their business card, I'll hold on to it. Um, But generally, when the time comes when I need those services, I'm probably going to go through another route. 
Right, you're not you're not going back into the the old business card file from the drop-offs. No. Got it. Okay. Well, that I think is really important to know. Uh, does direct mail work for you? Yes, I think so. If it's something that catches the eye a little bit more um, than just you know your normal mail, but um, yeah, you know, I would take a look at it and hold on to it if it if it comes at a time when I'm you know thinking about that need or that service, then I would definitely hold on to it. So you're dealing with a particular thing that you want to purchase or a service or a an, an opportunity. How important really is price in the final decision that you make? It's very important. I mean, absolutely. I think that uh, for many services, price is probably one of the most important issues um, you know, aside from the recommendations, but kind of going back to what I was saying before, I think it depends a little bit on what type of service it is. If it's going to be the same across the board for most vendors, then price is going to pretty much be the number one um, issue for, or the number one thing to make you choose one company over another. If it's something that's a little bit more specific, like, you know, for instance, our SEO company, our, the people who handle our website, um, those come from direct referrals and we'd be willing to pay more for a service that comes um, highly recognized from another colleague who is well respected um, by us and in our community. So, But if it were something more just along the lines of office products, then it might be what is the cost, um, what's the turnaround for delivery, or how prompt are they at right. getting back to us. Um, so definitely price is a, a major factor. But like I said before, you know, if, if the price is good, but we have issues with their billing all the time and the customer service isn't helpful or friendly, then we'll shop around and we'll go elsewhere to look for somebody else who just is handling our business better. Right. So is there things that companies have done in trying to get in front of you that you know, we talked about cold calling and knocking on doors and different things like that. Are there things that have happened that are like complete pet peeves that just drive you completely nuts? Yes. And I mean, it's it would be the people who come into the office and don't recognize or realize that you're busy and you just, you know, you've tried to be very respectful and just say, I'm really sorry, but you know, I don't have time right now and you can leave your card and we'll get in touch with you. And we've had some issues with companies who repeatedly send the same people back to the office or not necessarily the same people, but different people from the same company. Um, just to the point where you have to say, we don't want to do business with your company. Right. You guys have come in here several times, you're interrupting us and we're just not interested. And so that's definitely been a pet peeve before. Is there no soliciting signs in your building? I don't believe so. Oh, okay. We tend to tell people sometimes that there are, though, just right. so that we can <laughs> deter them from coming back all the time. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> so if, if you had the luxury of advising salespeople who were trying to sell you services, let's, let's talk about services in this case. Uh, if you had the luxury of being able to give them advice on how to actually reach you uh, connect with you and ultimately have enough of a conversation with you to actually provide you enough information to make a decision, uh, what advice would you give them? Well, for one, I'd say if they're calling, if it's on the phone, um, you know, if you're calling the law offices of John Smith, don't call and ask for John Smith because chances are that John Smith is too busy and he's not going to be the person to right. talk to you about selling your service. And so usually right there, the person who's answering the phone realizes this is a solicitation, I'm not interested. Um, or, 
you know, and, and don't try to trick me on the phone either into thinking that you have personal business with my boss and that I should put you through on the phone with them because that will just make me not want to talk to you at all. <laughs> so how do you, I think you must in just intuitively know when people are trying to play that one, but. Yeah, you do. And I would say that if you, if you really want to speak with somebody in our office, don't, don't ask for, you know, the, the head honcho sort of, um, because they're not the right audience for you to get your contact information to. You should ask to speak with the office manager. Um, if you've ever been into our office and you've happened to pick up a business card at the front and you know my name, then that's great. Um, otherwise, you know, if you're generally asking for the office manager, it's kind of a clue too that, you know, you're calling to sell some sort of service, which is fine, but I'm at least more comfortable with being able to field that call first than potentially putting it through to my boss or somebody who just is too busy and would not want to be bothered with the time of speaking to somebody who's selling something. So in the event that you did put them through, it, that obviously creates tension in the office because mm -hmm. those are billable hours. She or he could be working at doing something else, I assume. Yes. And okay. so, you know, I don't want to have, have done that. And right. then, you know, it looks bad on me. And right. I'd rather have you just be more upfront and tell me, who it is, who you are, why you're calling, where you're calling from. Um, you know, don't try to hide, well, I'm just calling to assess, or I'm just calling to discuss your blah, blah, blah needs and act as though you've had business with our office before because I feel like you're misleading me and that kind right. of is frustrating. Right. Um, people do do that a lot where they, you're trying to ask them, well, what are you calling about? What can I say it's regarding? And they try to avoid the question so that they can get to the person who they think they need to get to. But now you've, you're not going to get to that person. And now you've irritated me. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not a <laughs> good plan. And I'm the person who you probably should have been talking to in right. the first place. Um, so I, you know, I always just appreciate people who are genuine. Um, they understand that I'm busy and they just want to introduce themselves and let me know that, you know, they're around and I can call them whenever, you know, I I feel like I have the time to talk about it and not trying to continue to keep me on the phone if I've already said that I'm, you know, I'm busy right then. So I just, I respect people who are genuine about why they're calling and just trying to, you know, let me know that they're there for me when I need them. Yeah. Well, that, that is incredibly helpful advice uh, because I, I think so often there is this belief system that uh, I'm going to use you to get where I need to get to. And ultimately, we've got to we got to convince you that we're even worth talking to. Yeah. And, you know, pretty much you're going to talk to me and I'm not the final decision maker, but I am the person who influences the final decision right. maker because I'll be the one who has done the research and can make a recommendation for a company that I've looked into and I think that they may be really good and you know, eventually the final decision maker is gonna sign off on it, but I, you know, I'm the one who's gonna influence that decision and even you know, get your, your name out there to right. be considered. Right. So any other final advice for people who might be trying to reach you and get through to you and somehow sell you something? Just be genuine, I guess, is my, my only thing. I, I've never been in sales and I know sales is tough and I know that there are certain ways that, you know, you, you get in front of people and you, you're able to pitch your product or your service, um, but just, you know, be genuine. Okay. So, so don't, don't try and, uh, you know, come across like, you can somehow magically make this happen, influence you in, in ways that are sort of, because you're, you're a professional as much as they think they are. 
and your schooled at figuring out when they're trying to pull your leg or do anything. So it's really be cautious how you approach you, approach you uh, in a way that is uh, friendly and genuine, but also respects the fact that you have a million things on your plate. Yeah, and respect timing and just just understand that timing is key too. And you may catch me at a very busy time and it's not the right timing for us needing your services, but doesn't mean that we won't again in the future. So, you know, just check back in and be without being, you know, too upfront or too, whatever the word may be, to just, you know, be too aggressive about it. Right. Um, but just understand that timing is sometimes key. And so it may not be now, but it could be eventually. So just keep an open relationship and remind people that you're there when they need you. All right. One more question before we we close off this interview, because it in all of this so far, we've talked about them trying to reach you. In the event that you've gone to a colleague or a, a another person and found out that there's a, a vendor, but then you go online and you actually say, fill in a form on their website or you make a call. What's your expectation around response? Uh, is it instantaneous? What's, what's your, like, like, is there an internal clock or meter that suggests that there are sort of uh, performance related options or requirements that you're expecting yeah, well, I would expect it to be prompt. If I'm reaching out to you for your business and it takes you a week to get back to me, I've already, yeah, I've kind of checked out on it a little bit. That, okay. That's left a bad taste in my mouth. Um, I did have that happen recently, actually, where um, based on a referral from somebody, we went to a company and I went and emailed the um, the people in the company and it took about a week for them, their salesperson to get back to me. Or I think, in fact, I had to follow up with them a second time. Um, and it was only because we felt strongly about using this company based on the referral, referral. But I was not happy about the fact that I had to follow up with them. Yeah. Which immediately changes the whole, ref the trust that should have come from the referral. Absolutely. Right. Okay. Well, that's good news, too, because uh, I, I think more and more uh, responsiveness is a leading indicator of, of whether somebody's going to be actually effective as a mm -hmm. provider. Absolutely. Yeah, very cool. Well, Kate, thank you. We've blown through 30 minutes, and uh, I really appreciate your insight, your perspective, and the fact that you've shared with us what the mind of an office manager is. So thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Love it, love it, love it. I hope that helped you to understand the mind of an office manager. Special thanks to Kate Norton for joining us. And special thanks to you, too, for continuing to show up and uh, listen to these shows. I'm also incredibly grateful to O'Neill Software, who sponsor the show. O'Neill is committed to creating great software for your RIM service business. But more than that, they keep pushing the envelope in the development of their products, both for what is required today, but even more importantly, what will be happening in the industry tomorrow. While it might seem like it's not that important, we know that in two to three to five years from now, you'll be glad they kept pushing forward. And if you're interested in learning more about them, you can do so at O'NeillSoft.com. That's it for today. We'll be back next week with another great interview for you. Have a great week. We are out of here. Thanks for joining us on the Rim Pro Report with Tom Adams. If you enjoyed the show, please tell others. Our website is www.rimproreport.com. This broadcast is produced and hosted by Flourish Press Inc. Join us again soon.